0: Hello and welcome to proper full on gay crisis. I'm Jamie and joining me this week are special guest Em, as well as Amy and Leo from the Rainbow Project. If you binged Heartstopper nearly as fast as Charlie ran the 200 meter sprint, why not run along and hit subscribe? You can find us on social media at proper full on gc discover more about the show and our partners at proper full on and if you feel like sharing your own story reach out to proper full on gc at gmail.com this is season one episode 12 this winter let's meet our guests welcome to the podcast folks it's so exciting to have you all with us i think this is the most guests we've ever had on the podcast we've got three special guests it's standing room only why don't you introduce yourselves
1: yeah sure so i'll do it i'll go first um yeah hi my name is leo lardy my pronouns are he him his and i work at the rainbow project for sexual health but like everybody in small charities i do a bit of everything Including watching Heartstopper, apparently.
0: <laughs> it's an essential part of any job now, I think. Everybody should be required. Uh,
2: my name is Amy. I use um, they, them pronouns. Um, Amy Martin, sorry. Yeah, Amy Martin, uh, they, them pronouns. And I work um, as a mental health advocacy officer for Rimba Project. So I basically um, um, do wraparound care s- assistance, one to one support with the LGBT community um, and basically help people and their families kind of stay more connected um, with their own mental health. And yeah, bits and pieces, like Leo said, kind of different hats for everything, really. And as I said, an avid Heartstopper fan as well
0: very good Uh, and last but very not least yeah
3: hi i'm Emma nelly i use she her and they them pronouns i identify as queer femme and also non-binary i'm a psychology professor and a psychotherapist in san francisco bay area gay area Um, i work with a lot of lgbtq folks in my practice and um, have worked as a sexual health educator also hiv case manager Um, I ran a project that educated folks about making college classrooms more inclusive for trans and gender expansive and safer for folks of all genders. I have a very cute rescue dog named Sis, (laughs) who is seven years old, and I'm obsessed with her. And I also have a podcast where I talk about my favorite TV show next to Heartstopper called Twin Peaks and people who have Twin Peaks tattoos, um, and what their ink means to them.
0: That's me. You're also welcome. Such a great mix of skills and backgrounds. This is going to be a super special episode. You're listening to Proper Falungi Crisis, which is the podcast where we take inspiration from Heartstopper to have conversations about the lives of queer youth and to talk about queer culture. Today's show is a little bit different because we're not talking about Heartstopper, the TV show. We're going to talk about one of the spin-off novellas called This Winter, which takes place in the middle of the book of the heartstopper graphic novel series and um, it's a really amazing book and the conversations that we want to have are definitely worthy of your ears so we would encourage you to keep on listening but we understand that you may not want to spoil the show so if that's the case then we'd probably recommend that you head on back out and scroll through our archives to pick a different episode to listen to and there are so many to choose from if it was me i'd probably listen to episode one again with ali and zach from lgbt Youth scotland all the way back at the very start. It was a a great episode to record. So yeah, if you're still with us, we'd really appreciate it if you could look down at your phone and hit that subscribe button. It really makes such a huge difference to the podcast. If you also want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at proper full on GC. There's a ton of content there. And yeah, for listeners who have chosen to stick with us, you're very welcome. It's great to have you along for the ride. I just want to give you a quick warning that some of the things that are referred to in the book might be surprising and maybe upsetting for some listeners who haven't ventured outside the Netflix adaptation. Charlie's Mental Health takes a turn for the worse in book three of Heartstopper, which is season two. And in this winter, Charlie describes what happened as the ED voices getting louder during the summer and having a self-harm relapse in the autumn He spends a few weeks as a patient in hospital in a hospital psychiatric ward, which specializes in supporting and treating teenagers who have mental health issues, including disordered eating and self-harm. During this winter, he talks about his stay in hospital, which we will touch on during our conversation. And we'll also be talking about schizophrenia, which is mentioned by David, Nick's older brother. I also want to let you know that we'll be describing some of the things that the characters say and using the words that they use. And uh, I'd like to be clear that that doesn't mean that we share their views or that we would choose to use the language that they use ourselves. If you find anything that we talk about distressing or upsetting, we'd encourage you to get some support. And we've left some information in the show notes about the different organizations that you can contact. Should we start talking about it? Actually. Okay yeah on the cover of the book i really love the cover of this book it's so it's so nice and simple there's a picture of a light bulb and inside a beautiful snowy scene and um, with a perfect little house in a tree and with snow falling and snow all around it there's handwriting that says time to pretend we're a perfect family i always remember as a child being told to be on my best behavior whenever my family visited or whenever my parents had friends over Just wonder why is it that we put so much pressure on ourselves to to put on this act
1: any kind of family gathering is an opportunity to show off how beautiful and wonderful your family is i mean i think about my family and family holidays being about my mom showing all of the skills that she has in the family how well she keeps that family together all of the beautiful food that she makes the gorgeous decorations the perfectly clean household and I think there's a lot of pride in that. And there's maybe not so much pride in having family issues, whether that's like conflict within the family, mm-hmm. um, mental illness within the family. And I think it's it's obviously unfair and it doesn't feel right. But I suppose it's just we want to prove to people that the life that we have is wonderful. I think yeah. there's a lot of showing off.
2: I mean, definitely the, the best behavior kind of thing of like putting on a show, as you were saying, that kind of... Um, need for a family to kind of be functional and seem functional and seem kind of perfect and, and what their idea of perfect is in societal terms. Yeah. And if everything is perfect, then you then there's no room for to see any of the
3: imperfections, the things yeah. that we like shove underneath the rug, the the skeletons in the closet. Like you said, it's just it's time to pretend that everything is perfect and everything's in its place and everybody's wearing the best outfits and they're on their best behavior, whatever yeah. that means. And then it's a pressure to not be necessarily be yourself, because for me as a young person, being myself wasn't being on my best behavior (laughs) i was not on my best behavior um and so it's it's a very specific yeah sterilized you know catered version of what a family should be it's also sometimes the only time of year where families are getting together so it's like there's a lot of pressure i think put on the family for it to really work out and not be not mess don't mess anything
1: up i I think as well part of it is that i mean traditionally in Northern Ireland, which is where the Rainbow Project is based, I would say that we tend to have uh, a culture and a society that is really uncomfortable with vulnerability and really uncomfortable with weakness. And I think if I look at my family, um, being on your best behavior or being your best self is because it feels so awkward and uncomfortable for us to have any kind of vulnerability or any kind of weakness. I think it's especially when it comes to mental ill health, it's almost as if, you know, you're bringing down the mood of the party. Mm -hmm. You're ruining the day. This is meant to be a a special day for everybody. And I think, you know, that that vulnerability is just not something that people realise can be a really positive impact on a family gathering as well. Like actually being honest and open with each other and like sharing your lives, not just the stuff you put in the yearbook.
2: Especially if something significant has happened in your life around... The year and they haven't seen you as you said it's the kind of one year one time of the year they can all gather together then yeah. you're almost kind of updating them on your life That just the, the the general kind of like updates that people have straight away it's like I need to show them a list of what I've been doing and if you haven't really like if you've been working on your mental health mental health is seen as this thing of um it's not as almost as important as physical health so like that thing of oh you've only been working on your mental health it's not like it's what it's, it's kind of disappoints people when they're yeah. like, oh, it's not the gossip you want. People don't want to hear
3: that. Right. They want to hear like, mm. how, what grades have you been getting in school? Like how you know what? How many extracurricular activities have you been doing? Not like, oh, I've actually been going to therapy and that's been really working <laughs> out, mom. Thanks for asking or whatever. like aunt so-and-so, you know, that's that's the you know, that's what's not talked about oftentimes mm. in a lot of families.
0: Why do you think it makes people feel awkward to talk about mental
1: health? I don't think, think that we have the the practice with it, quite honestly. I think that if I think about how my parents were raised, um, it was very different than how I was raised. I imagine my my nephew will be raised very differently again. I think that previously, you know, mental health wasn't something that was discussed, but also I think that there's that kind of stiff upper lip that we kind of expect from people that by talking about something that we are exacerbating it when actually sometimes it's like you know releasing the poison like venting the steam and getting you back to your normal pressure gauge
3: yeah I think growing up for me in Oklahoma like I don't even remember the words mental health being talked about like I think it was like your emotional something or psychological, but like those two words even put together in the same, to think about that as a form of my health, it wasn't until later in life that that was even utilized. And so, but now it's, I think a lot more, you know, in a previous podcast episode, Jimmy, one of your guests was talking about language being more usualized. And I feel like this is another time and place for that language to be more usualized. And I think it is now way more so than like when I was younger.
0: This winter takes place a few weeks after Charlie comes home from his in hospital. It splits the day up into three different perspectives. So the first part of the day is told from Tori's perspective, the middle part from Charlie's perspective, and then later in the day from Oliver's perspective. Charlie's dad calls Christmas Day the spring family Christmas, and it seems like a really huge event with grandparents from both sides of the family and various aunts, uncles, and cousins that all spend the day at Charlie's house it just seems totally enormous. Like when I was a kid, we didn't have Christmases like this. There must be at least fifteen or sixteen people coming to Charlie's house for Christmas dinner. It seems a bit mad, so stressful.
1: My family Christmas would have been like five people tops, like yeah. I, I think four and I. So it, the idea of having any more than ten people in a room is terrifying to me.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's the thing I think of what like a Catholic upbringing bringing in 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 Ireland, especially. Your, all your family comes, like I remember like the house we're living in now currently is my grandmother's house and I remember this place being 50 people deep at some point and just no room, no standing <laughs> room Um, literally there would be three tables kind of pulled around and it was just a gathering of people and it would have been the only time you would have seen each other and there would have been music and laughing and, and all the kids kind of showed off their toys and things like that. Well I, I was an only child and
3: had also really small gatherings for Christmas but secret about me not so secret secret is that I love Christmas I love it and not for like any religious reason or even that much around traditions but just like like the gaiety of it all and just like it's so magical and sparkly and just like to me it just I don't I don't have negative associations with it I just have sort of I just think about it in a, in like very exciting ways. I actually have a whole Christmas tattoo sleeve on my left arm that it's all just like Christmas really? things. <laughs> I love it. I, yes, love it. I love it. I love So that's when I was like this winter. Yes. I love it. Um, <laughs> and so, but that doesn't mean it wasn't stressful for me. And I remember overhearing stressful conversations or like getting asked, you know, similar. And I know we'll get there to Charlie ask sort of invasive questions about my life and um, yeah. feeling, feeling some stress there. And so, how I coped with it, which is really funny. And I still do this is that I would take everybody's Christmas presents and divide them by their names and like make little small piles next to them and like, just sit there and wait. So everyone would still be like eating or doing whatever they're doing. And I would just be like, in charge of the presents. And like, okay, now they're going to be done soon. I'm just going to wait. And now it's all organized. It's like a very Virgo moment, even then when I was little. So that's, yeah, that's how I would deal with the stress was just like, let me just make piles.
0: Funny, funny. (laughs) I feel kind of a bit annoyed with Charlie's parents for creating this environment. Like he was just released from hospital. They understand that it's been a really difficult time for him over the past few months. And yet, they've planned this huge gathering of family at a time of year that's all about, typically, it's all about sharing food. And it must just have felt very intimidating for him.
2: You can see kind of where they're coming from in terms of like keeping it normal and keeping it kind of rational for him in terms of like the eating patterns and stuff and making him feel as safe as he can. But again, it, again, what a lot of like younger people probably won't say is that the parents are probably getting pressured from some other way as well, like in terms of yeah. like maybe another family member like almost kind of pressuring them to be like, oh, we want to come and see you, and we never get to see you anymore. And this thing of like, okay, we'll just do anything for a quiet life to make Charlie's life easier as well. It, it was a bit unfair for the most part, but I can see where they're coming from in terms of the normalcy of it all. You know, my sense of both,
3: of both his mom and dad is that they're coming from a really genuinely loving place you know they they yeah. want him to have a good holiday he's just gone through this whole big experience and they 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 want to do well by him they want to do the right thing and yet they don't quite have the tools to do it and that well, yeah, is sure. you know resounding in the story and, you know, and there's also something, there's a lot that Charlie does. And then there's even more that he could do to help bring them in and sort of bridge that gap to let them know what he needs instead of letting them decide what he needs, which is kind of what they do. Look, nothing to see here. Everything is fine. No problems. It's like, no, there are, this was hard. And there, there, there were problems and there were challenges and that's okay. And so they mean well and they don't have the tools. And I see that a lot with parents of like, young folks who really do have a lot of love and a lot of care, but they just don't know. They don't know what they don't know.
1: That's the one thing I think reading this winter, I mean, firstly, the the teenagers and the children are written so perfectly that it really felt like opening a childhood diary. But as a, an adult reading that, I couldn't help but have my heart be a bit sore for, for Charlie's parents because you're right. They really don't maybe realize how difficult is and maybe they're like I think that their generation would kind of think carry on as normal. Yeah. You know, it's best to keep on trucking, par through, and normalcy will take over. Um, and it's better to not focus on this because they're kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And I'm sure that's partly um because he's unable or unwilling to talk to his parents about what he needs. But I think that if they had not had christmas the same way that would have also probably been an issue because he would have been like singled out or focused in on which seems like the opposite of what he wants right now so yeah it seems like they were in a difficult position and they could have done better but they certainly could have done worse right oh
0: definitely definitely um earlier you were talking about how much you loved christmas and for, for lots of people, they do really love Christmas. Like I really love Christmas too. People who celebrate it, it can be very, very sentimental and it comes with quite high emotional significance in the kind of family calendar. Is it because of that emotional significance that some people find it quite a difficult time of year?
3: Yeah, I think so. And it's also like the time of year where it's like the changing of the seasons. It's the time of year when a lot of times there's breaks from things like breaks from work. Or breaks from sort of everyday life. And so there's like sort of a pause that happens, even if it's very stressful. And again, that can be there could be a lot of pressure there pressure to have everything perfect, like we've been talking about ideal, yeah. perfect family, get things right use that time to the best way we can use it because then the new year starts and then now we're back to the calendar of the day-to-day and the going back to work and going back to our lives and so it's busy 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 but there's that pause there that can be really stressful and really overwhelming and also i think it's a time that could be used to like commemorate things like thinking about back to other christmases past right when maybe um family members who are no longer here were there you know thinking back to other traditions and other times and so um, it can be very stressful, very emotional. Also time when a lot of people are home, whereas maybe you don't see your older brother very much, but your older yeah. brother's home from college now. And then there he is. And all those old family dynamics are back. And you're like, oh, can, can I just get a break? <laughs> <Right>? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of different reasons why it can be the most magical gay time ever. And also for many, many, many folks, very stressful and overwhelming and sad or whatever the emotions might be
2: it is its own kind of like little period of time little bubble of time as you said that pause um in terms of reflection and stuff throughout the year we've we've had milestones throughout the year and it's kind of that coming to an end of that there's that loneliness that comes with sometimes with it as well spending the holidays by yourself or spending it abroad away from someone even with me as well like I think to a point like I used to enjoy Christmas very much and it's that kind of childhood innocence with it. Um, but again, as I've got older, like people have left and people are no longer there that I would have enjoyed spending my Christmases with and maybe it's not it's not through any fault of their own. Maybe they've passed on or maybe something's happened and they're not no longer part of the family group in terms of Christmas celebrations, but it means then that um you don't get to socialize with them anymore and you don't get to have that part that you enjoyed anymore. Um, But again, I can see the magicalness of Christmas and I still remember the magicalness of Christmas and that innocence of Christmas for me and love spending time with my family. But again, I actually enjoy a bit of both, like chosen family and found family. So it's that thing of like um, the chosen family and then the, the balance of it. And New Year's, I actually enjoy New Year's more because it's that kind of time between 25th and the 30th where you kind of don't have anything to do and it's literally yes. like everything's shut and it's that pause and it's so good because you can just sit and just chill There's out a less and just
0: <laughs> no pressure chosen family is a really important part of queer culture but not everybody's really sure what it is how would you describe it for listeners who have come across chosen family what, what do we mean by that
3: well for me chosen family there it's my people It's the people that I have chosen in my life who I want to surround myself with. And especially for holidays, like now as an adult, I have like, you know, my queer family over for holidays, making new traditions and, you know, doing things really differently than I was sort of forced to do when I was a kid. So chosen family could be the people that we choose, our people, my family. It could be people from your family of origin or not. You know, it could be friends, it could be mentors, it could be like people from, you know a church community or for me like growing up my chosen family was like my, my musical theater friends and geeks and kids and you know it's like how gay was I a musical theater but anyway that you know those were my people and so that's how I I talk about it is like it's my people that I choose
1: um i think for for me chosen family is an opportunity to have bonds with people that maybe you'd like to have in your own family but just aren't possible i think that many queer people will go through stages with their familial relationships. And what I've tend to find is that as you get older, there's a lot more forgiveness and understanding and acceptance both ways. But I think after all the damage is done, it can still be really difficult to be honest, open, vulnerable, and authentic with your family because you're so used to being on the defensive with them, to being criticized, to being misunderstood. And even at my best efforts to to be open with people it feels uncomfortable and difficult for me my chosen family are the people that i can be completely 100% myself with mm-hmm. um they can they can call me out on my nonsense they can tell mm-hmm. me to buck up and cheer up they can get me to giggle and to laugh and i care about them as much as you know my my blood family like they are a part of my heart and a part of me and i think chosen family is about people who make you feel at one with yourself, who make you feel at home, even if you're not at home.
0: Oh, that's so
2: sweet. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's so true. You're so poetic. You can tell he's a comedy writer. <laughs> 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 <Sorry>. <laughs> he's not like this all the time. Um, but yeah, no, um, you do have a heart, Leo. Oh my God. Um, we just realized <laughs> there. Um, no, in terms of support and stuff, like, I mean, Chosen Family in general is, to me, is getting that support that you mightn't necessarily get from um familial kind of blood family. It's that kind of like intellectual family, um, and heart family in terms of like someone who gets you completely, who gets your who takes you warts and all in terms of like will have been with you through things thick and thin or just knows you on a better scale than it could be like your that your mom and your dad know you like I know I have a mom friend who's like my mom basically and like in terms of work patterns as well I have a work mom um, and things like that where it's like that thing of like you 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 relate to people and we like to put people in little boxes and things as well and it's that thing of like we have our family who we can't really choose because they're obviously like we're born and we have a generational kind of DNA ingrained in us we also have that thing of people who we want to be as as Leo said part of our family who want to be we want to connect with and we want to have as a kind of sibling or like a, a sister from another mister kind of thing of or a brother from another mother that kind of thing of like it, it's someone who you really connect with and someone who you can unabashedly just be yourself with who you can call out and who you can just be be with
0: definitely definitely. I read in a New York Post article, it came out around the end of um, November, I think, about food and how huge a role food plays in family traditions, particularly around the holidays. I think it was something like 83% of Americans say that food is just a huge part of how they celebrate with their families. It must just make it incredibly difficult for people that, that have eating disorders. Why are traditions around food and eating and family so such a big deal like why is it that food is associated with these holiday celebrations
2: personally i think it's just the winter we'd like to hibernate we like to kind of gather food and kind of <laughs> get and kind of get as much as we can into us um so we can just kind of like sleep and not do as much and again i've seen it and in, for in personal things with my partner like she's a vegetarian and the, the the kind of limited food choices that she even has um around our dinner table on christmas time like it's that kind of thing of like oh you're not eating normally um when she's made a conscious decision that she wants to eat this way and it's no one's decision but hers but for some reason she gets singled out for it every year it's a normalcy of just eating what's put in front of you um so i think there's a kind of stigma with kind of eating disorders in general and even dietary choices like gluten-free and things like that um celiac and things like that people who are a little different people are like oh why why are you eating so differently and it's like sometimes people just can't eat it medically can't eat it it's not tolerated in their bodies
1: it's something that i think about all the time when it comes to like holidays and especially the ones that revolve around food like you know christmas and and thanksgiving in the states something i think makes those holidays uniquely different difficult for people with eating disorders but as well people with body image issues is the amount of rife fat phobia that goes on because it's so fascinating like those days are meant to be indulgent right they're meant to be big feasts and everyone enjoys themselves and fills them up to the to the nth degree but you absolutely will hear so much casual fat phobia in those conversations like Oh, I'm gonna be a whale. I've had too many walnut whips today. Oh goodness, <laughs> you, you're you're so skinny, and yet you put all that weight. Don't be doing that, and you'll you'll be getting too weighty. And New I Year's think that's,
2: resolutions uh, as well. That New kind Year's of thing resolutions.
1: I, I think that's one of the really difficult things about these holidays is that they they would genuinely be very enjoyable, but I don't think as a society we're allowed to really indulge or allow ourselves to have fun, particularly for for people who particularly for women, I think, is probably the hardest thing. But it it, it is so frustrating uh, to hear it and so innocently said and for people to not realize what a knock-on impact that has on people's self-esteem, their self-worth. And the idea of tying weight to to beauty or weight to self-worth, like it's a really dangerous game. I'm pretty certain everyone here is probably sat around the, the family table and just heard things and be like, oh, why are you saying oh, yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Get woke. Get woke, granny, you know?
2: woke, <laughs> <laughs> oh, granny.
0: <laughs> Her granny, in Charlie's case, a lot of the anxiety that he feels as the, he approaches the day itself is caused by his eating disorder. He he has anorexia. In Charlie's case, what do you think contributed to him developing an eating disorder? Is it all related to like the way that he was outed at school and his self-esteem and the relationship with Ben, do you think? Or are there other things at play too?
3: I mean, we we don't, we don't exactly know, right? Like we, everyone's experience with disordered eating is different. And so we don't exactly know all of the things that led up to this particular time in Charlie's life and how he's, um, you know, using anorexia as a coping tool in this moment in time. But I do think that a lot of his life is out of his control, including being outed, right? I mean, you just said it, yeah. like he didn't create that for himself. That was that was he was outed right and then you add that on top of being bullied by many people at school you add that on top of ben and the horrors of ben you know um and his sense of self-worth is really really diminished and so um you know we hear him saying all the time of course i'm sorry he's saying the s word sorry a lot and sort of taking things on that are really not his to take on like like, I just want to be like, sweetheart, you didn't, you don't need to say that. It's okay. We're it's not a your fault.
0: It's a bit heartbreaking Charlie, sometimes. You know so
3: much. I know. But he does. He takes all of that on. And so his sense of self-worth and self-esteem is really, really, really low. And it would make sense then that he would find something to, that would, Feel like a way that he, he could control his circumstances and so you add all of those things together plus perhaps like internalized homophobia which i know you all talked about on another episode too yeah. which i think many of us who are part of uh, you know marginalized identities we have internalized oppression right and for i can't imagine a situation in which charlie wouldn't have internalized those messages of fear and hatred about who he is in the world as a person and that all makes and all that all matters. And it makes sense that he would want to literally disappear. And I think he says as much, right? I want to literally disappear. Yeah. And that's essentially in some ways what he's doing to his body. Now, these are just my my thoughts and my guesstimations. You know, as a therapist and what I have seen working over the years with LGBTQ folks who also have had disordered eating, um, there's a direct correlation, I think, between especially internalized depression and disordered eating. I've seen that a lot. Um, and with trans folks that I've worked with in the past too, there can also be like a link between incongruence with your body and wanting to conform your to, to shift your body in a way that feels more congruent. And so, like, you know, n- not having a healthy relationship with food as a way to do that, which of course also makes sense. Again, not true for every trans person, but I have seen that as well. Um, and so I think there's something really specific about a queer and trans experience and disordered eating that could be talked about a whole lot more than it is (laughs) um and then also one more thing i'll say on this is i don't know that this is true for charlie specifically but i think that a lot of cis gay men have almost impossible body standards in which to live up to culturally speaking and in the u.s and perhaps in the uk and so that can also factor into like you know having an unhealthy relationship with exercise or like bodybuilding or like just again living up to these like impossible standards of like beauty
2: yeah I think those are really fair points in terms of beauty standards definitely from what um we've seen as well in terms of um that that element of control like you said to kind of like control what the intake is because I mean it might be the like he doesn't feel control in his life in terms of the outing or the relationship with Ben or the school life or mental health in general. So this is the one thing he does have control over and one thing that he can actually manage. Um, but again, as you said, like with a lot of LGBT people and especially within the, and, and also gay um, and trans, like there's, there's almost body standard of how to be the perfect sized um, LGBT person and especially with like role models and stuff there maybe isn't enough to kind of show different sizes and shapes you can be within the community and there's always kind of this kind of like labeled box of what you have to look like and what you have to act like again um and some people kind of really get into that headspace and they're like I have to look like this and I have to kind of get my body down to this this size or I have to be toned up enough to look like this and again Mm -hmm. it's, it's It's a lot of pressure for a young person, especially someone who maybe is dealing with a lot of different things. And you, you can totally see why it would affect him in that way.
0: Before the other family members arrive, Tori checks in with Charlie and asks if he's feeling okay. She knows that Charlie and their dad created a meal plan to help him feel more prepared, which seems like such a significant thing for Charlie to do to help him feel a bit more in control of of the day
1: itself is that fair to say that that's that's quite a significant thing for one it's probably the only example in this winter of the family especially the parents making a concerted effort to like meet charlie where he's at so obviously he's got quite a good relationship with his dad and he maybe can what's the best way to put this, he can maybe do difficult things with Charlie in the way that his mom can't. Um, So I think it's probably also one of the only times that it's mentioned that the parents actually focus in on the eating disorder. I think other than that meal plan, it's kind of completely omitted from the Christmas day altogether. Um, So it is, it's fantastic that he does that, but it's almost a little bit frustrating reading it because you're like, oh, you're you're so close to 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 getting to do something yeah. really beneficial and useful. You did like step one and we didn't get to step two. Did you know, great start. But we, Definitely. you know, put the pet on the gas, you know.
2: Sick to land in a little bit. Sick to land in a little bit um, in terms of the structure. Like it's great that, that that structure was there. But at the same time, it's like it needs to follow through then from there.
0: Tori's read that talking about food all the time might make Charlie feel worse. So she avoids the subject, but she seems a bit lost about how else she can support him. What are some of the things that friends or family members might do, people who have disordered eating or are feeling a bit stressed about Christmas and a bit tense about it?
3: Well, something that's coming to me is, you know, when Charlie later talks about the middle ground, which is basically saying to whoever it is in your family, I'm here whenever you need me let me know what you need. And then beforehand, just like they made the the meal plan, making even a plan about like, what would be helpful? What would you like for me to do? And it could look like interrupting, you know, um, annoying and invasive questions from other family members and like jumping in and saying like, like shutting it down. Right. Or like turning it into a different conversation. It could look like, um, like, let's go have like a queer dance party break right now upstairs and just like grabbing, <laughs> you know, grabbing you and just like yeah. having a dance party. It could look so many different ways, but having the person, in this case, Charlie, having Charlie really get to decide what he wants that to look like. And that is so important because everybody, what everybody wants and needs is different. And you might not even know in the moment and that's okay too, but just being that middle ground of like, I'm here if, and when you need me and we don't have to tolerate things that are not healthy for
2: you. I think with eating disorders as well there's quite a lot of almost, there's not a lot of education sometimes for people. So people sometimes just don't, they go for the basics but they don't really know the nuances of how a person's feeling and I think it's just really important just to ask how they're feeling instead of making assumptions for things as well and making yeah. sure that they're covered in all, in all ways.
1: I think something that I've learned um through my experiences with mental health and maybe also very specifically working with neurodivergent people is that sometimes direct questions are the best and I think that Tori does an amazing job of saying like are you okay or do you want to talk about it and I think Nick does the same of do you want to talk about it which rather not but I think sometimes it can be lost on people if you're asking them are you okay because I think we all in a polite society are like yeah I'm good how's you (laughs) We just want to skip past it. And I think sometimes you need to take a breather and really emphasize and be like, how are you feeling about the Christmas dinner? Are you stressed out about it? Like, it's not necessarily a leading question, but it's a direct question. Because I know if someone says, how are you? I'm like, doing great, thanks. But how are you actually? Oh, everything's awful. I think sometimes (laughs) direct questions are great. But I think for being a teenager, Tori did it absolutely bang up job and i think that's part of the joy of being someone who's like a peer i think it's quite difficult for parents to support their children sometimes because there is that kind of distance and that barrier but with your your siblings or people your own age or your friends they're much more comfortable and i think oftentimes we are less defensive about letting them in Mm -hmm. because we don't feel like we're going to get criticized
3: there's also the good old-fashioned, like, texting under the table. I mean, not that I'm a proponent of texting under the table during a meal, but yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's a way that's a way to have access to, like, what's really happening if you aren't able to say it out loud. Or, like, and in, in the book, Charlie's texting Nick, like, can I come over earlier?
2: I need to, like, get out of here.
3: And, of course, Nick is like, sure, no problem
2: communicating in a way that works well for you I think as well for the person like some people do not do well face-to-face conversation so some people might actually benefit more from like a whatsapp text or they might benefit from a chat text or even just little like things like moving the plate away from them when you know they're clearly done and they haven't had they've had enough and they haven't eaten but they know someone's going to come over and ask you're moving it away so then that isn't brought up Mm -hmm. and things like that it's uh, actions and communication and how your body language works with people as well
0: I love that tip about texting under the table. Like it would never have crossed my mind that I could text somebody that's across the table from me. It's such a good tip. It's
2: actually great. and I do it all the time with notes with my partner. So like if you're doing like a, if if we don't want to kind of have a conversation like kind of outwardly or there's people watching or anything like that, we just text each other via notes and we just kind of pass the phone back and forward and be like, look at this. And then she's like, oh, that's really interesting. Type, 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 type.
0: Charlie and his family don't see their cousins very often, and because Charlie's the only openly gay member of the family, they really do take a very keen interest in his life. During dinner, all the, all the young people of the family sit together, almost like the kiddies' table, even though they're not really kids anymore. Um, Clara, the eldest cousin, asks all kinds of intrusive and personal questions about when he first realised that he was gay, his relationship with Nick, how they met, what it's like. It isn't a line of questioning that Charlie was expecting. And he asks Clara if it was her uncle that told her about him and Nick. It just reminded me that whenever you come out to family members, you kind of you lose a little bit of control over what they go on and tell other people like they pretty much can share that information with anybody. And I got the impression here that either Charlie or his dad has maybe been talking to his uncle about Nick. And then he's unexpectedly shared that with the rest of his family. And Charlie's taken a bit by surprise.
2: News really does travel fast within families, I think. And um especially if it's something that the family considers kind of like, oh, gossip or like fantastical. It's that thing of like, oh, like I remember with me being like one of the only LGBT cousins for a while you become a bit of a fad you do become a bit of a trend and it's that <laughs> thing of like they want to know everything and especially yeah. like when I was out when I was when I was gay and then when I came out as non-binary about four or five years ago like the amount of questioning and interrogation you get um really kind of invasive at times as well like um it, it, it can be you're kind of like where did you get this information from like who, who are your sources like where, where's the receipts for this
1: it's incredibly complicated because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people um, I think a lot of us talk a big talk about setting boundaries and then we forget how difficult it is to walk the walk. I'm 32 <laughs> years old. If you put me in this scenario, I would fold like a deck of cards. Yeah. I would tell that person everything they wanted to know under that spotlight, <laughs> anything to stop it.
3: Yeah. It, it is really hard to, it is so, it's so easy to be like boundaries, boundaries are important, da, 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 da. But right. Same for me. Like if I'm 40 and if those conversations come, up, I'd be like, um, uh, well, uh, uh you know, it's so hard. And Well, something i do that i have learned to do is like practice ahead of time like the language that i would want to use in a perfect world when i could assert the boundary that i want to assert and like get comfortable with saying it um but to your point about like using humorly i really like that and and i was thinking like you know even if charlie in that moment was dysregulated he was like emotionally dysregulated and becoming like despondent which is a very natural response to the circumstances but if he was a bit more resourced, he could even his cousin is somebody who I think he probably has like a OK relationship with. Like she's not asking invasive questions to be mean or to be um, like That's her right. heart isn't coming from a good place. Like she's just genuinely like curious. And, you know, I could imagine even something like like let's talk later and I'll spill the tea. But like grandma's like right over there, so shh. you know, yeah. something like that's just really light about it. Like, so it's like, I, it's not that I don't ever want to say anything about my love life to you, but like grandma's right there. Like, no,
0: <laughs> like definitely privacy,
3: right. Like something that is just like a little bit lighter. So it's, so it's not as like boundaries don't have to be so intense. Like we can, we can, I can get caught in that of like, I have to say no in a very specific way and use like all of my, <laughs> and it's like, no, you can just be like, girl, later, we'll talk about it later. You know, that's fine.
2: One of my favorite things to do with clients um, literally is just to like use that kind of make up dialogue like imagine if your aunt asked this what would you say and they come up with like three or four different scenarios and then they pick the one that they like the most and it's that kind of thing of like having that conversation with yourself i often argue with myself in the shower constantly make up little arguments and be like this is why this is why i didn't like this and it's not even happening (laughs) in my life but it's that thing of like it's giving me the empowerment to kind of be like this is what i would do in this situation i might necessarily do it because i'm a bit of a card when it comes to other people sometimes but it's it's helpful
3: and when I remember too, like when I was, when I was younger in family holidays, I would get questions like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to find the right guy and get married? Like those kind of questions from like yeah. grandpa, who again, loves me and means so well, but also somewhere knows I'm gayer than a $3 bill. So grandpa, why are you asking this question? And so I would, I would just be like, grandpa, well, You know, I really want to like go to college and like have a career and a life before I think about getting married to anybody or like, I don't believe in the institution of marriage or like just these like kind of quick, like comebacks that are like also really loving and light to where I know grandpa's just going to be like, oh, you're so silly. Oh, my goodness. I love you so much. You know, he's not going to (laughs)
1: like get really
3: upset. Like the stakes are low, but just to kind of reality check him like grandpa, I'm 19. I'm not getting married anytime soon.
0: Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Charlie's situation must be really common for queer young people, that they're out to some members of the family and not to others. It's definitely something that kind of adds to the tension of this moment, is that he's worried that his grandparents will overhear him. It must be quite difficult to manage those kind of situations when you get together in these big family gatherings and have to think about like who, who is it that knows and who doesn't, and how do you control that and
1: manage it?
2: You almost need the guest list of who knows and who doesn't, um, <laughs> so you know who to avoid
1: and who not to. I remember, like, I'm I'm a transgender man, and I remember uh, there was a while in which pretty much everyone in my life knew that I was trans, except for my mom and my dad. Um, And having friends over, um, having colleagues over, it was a preparation thing of like, you call me by the wrong name today, you call me by the wrong pronouns, I will forgive you. We have to do this, and I think maybe Charlie didn't get that option of like going to the secret family WhatsApp and saying do not talk about this with uh granny or granddad That's who so can true. text them to the table. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, I think what Em said is really right about like redirecting the conversation or just saying, we can talk about this later, you know, being really fast on the button of like, oh, nope, later in the secret cool area, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. He doesn't get much of a break after dinner when his aunt and uncle and cousins from different families all gather in the living room together. Tory describes their uncle as being big on gossip and big on talking about deep things. And he really doesn't disappoint in this moment in the book. (laughs) He starts to ask Charlie about his stay in hospital, commenting that he can't imagine what Christmas in a place like that would be like and by this stage Charlie's absolutely in the centre of attention everybody in the room is focusing on him all of his cousins are looking at him and the full focus of the conversation is
1: directed in, in his way it just feels so inappropriate that he's put in this place I think uh, his his mum and dad should have definitely been prepped for that one, I think that that is a, a feel, a, one of their failures of the Christmas party was not setting some ground rules, some boundaries with yes. the other family members I think it's fair to ask questions but a little bit of like mental health 101 would have been really fantastic let's not talk about the you know let's not talk about our perceptions of the mental health unit let's not ask Charlie about what it was like in the mental health unit let's ask him you know how he was and how he's doing I think that that makes me really angry because I think that I know that it should be common sense, but the fact that it isn't drives me insane. It's
2: always the uncle. That's what makes it so relatable as well. It's always the aunt or uncle or someone who <laughs> is kind of not connected quite with the family. And you're kind of like, shut up. Don't say do yeah. that. Um, there's just no, there's, there's no uh, structure put in there for Charlie at all in terms of like what to say and what not to say to him. I think it's a free for all. And it's that kind of thing of just to let him swim with the sharks a little bit. And there's been no kind of life pulpit in place there's no right that there's no raft for
0: that boy at all definitely it's one of those moments again where family members feel like they're almost entitled to ask these questions and push the boundaries of what would otherwise be totally unacceptable charlie tells him that the ward got decorated at christmas and a lot of his day was really helpful later in the book he writes that spending a few weeks in the psych ward sounds like the most horrific thing to some people but it was it was exactly what he needed Sometimes it feels like things are improving when it comes to talking about mental health and talking about mental health issues and our experiences, but there really is a long way to go in challenging some of these stereotypes and some of the barriers that exist in terms of being able to openly communicate about how we feel and about the things that we're going through.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that young people are actually doing a tremendous job of moving this forward, I think young folks are like talking about mental health and again using the language, usualizing language around mental health and wellness in ways that I certainly didn't have growing up, and um, and part of that happens in this winter when when Charlie talks about his stay in in the mental hospital, and a couple of times it's mentioned that. It's not always true that people have positive experiences in in hospital, in in inpatient hospitals. And that's absolutely the case. There are horrific stories of people being mistreated, of not getting the care that they need, of trans folks that I know who haven't gotten access to the trans health care that they needed while they were staying in mental health hospitals. And at the same time, I know so many people, including young folks, who have had who who literally have had their lives saved and charlie says that right like he's like he says it's changed it saved my life by being able to get away from the day-to-day for a minute and go somewhere where you're really just focusing on one thing which is you right and what makes you feel well and getting tools that you are not going to just get at school or at home or whatever Getting tools to help manage something that's really a negative coping pattern, which for him is is disordered eating, um, and his mental health around his disordered eating, certainly anxiety and depression. We, we we see that with him too, right? So he could just so he does that and he does it, and he's at a place where it works for him which is fantastic. And you're going to get group settings where that's going to be the case and you get tools to manage it. And he gets a therapist, which makes me so happy. And a therapist <laughs> who he loves named Jeff. Yeah. And he talks about Jeff. We don't yeah. see Jeff in this winter, which I'm so bummed about. I'm like, can there just be, Alice, if you're listening, can there just be like a little novella with Jeff and Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
2: Jeff. <Yeah. laughs> Side quest. i why I want that so bad.
3: But anyway, but but he finds Jeff and he, he really takes in what Jeff says and the messages that Jeff, the things that Jeff helps him with, and he carries it with him, even when he's not in the hospital anymore. So I just, you know, hope that we, we can think about in uh, in hospital experiences and even intensive outpatient where you're kind of going in and then you go back home that's called outpatient where you go in and then you return back home that those things can actually be really 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 wonderful and really really helpful and knowing more about where in your area are places that are really great places to go and like really well staffed and uh, resourced and are great with uh, lgbt working with lgbt community knowing that can help us empower so that Charlie can hopefully decide, like, if this happens in the future, where is it that I want to go? It sounds like like he found a good place and he could go back there. But for young people listening, like, knowing where you want to go and being able to write that script for yourself, because a lot of times it's just put on you, right? Oh, you're sick. You're going to go to this hospital. No questions asked. But having more agency and being able to make those decisions.
1: I think as well, part of what really strikes me is that there's a bit of a disconnect in that, like, everyone's kind of like, oh, charlie like how did you end up there with all those other crazy people and the assumption is that charlie is different from the people who are in inpatient that they are for lack of a better raving lunatics like stuff from you know the cartoons yeah. and it's it's frustrating to me because that's what ends up kind of stigmatizing mental health and almost silence in mental health is this idea that everyone's okay And the ones who aren't are the worst in the world and that there's something like deeply wrong with them that it's not like it it frustrates me that his his aunts, his uncles, his family can't imagine that the other people in the unit are just like Charlie. They're just regular everyday boys, girls, and humans who are having a tough time and need a a breakout, you know? It's so true. It's almost
2: normalising it. To hear Charlie's narrative of it being a positive experience, because I think there's a lot of more negative, and people tend to to listen to the negative a lot more, so it's good to have the positive influence on it as well, and Jeff is just Jeff is king um the way he just can kind of motivate charlie to to kind of do that and i think it's it's such a underplayed thing of the role of a therapist something that they can do and they really mold and really help people with their with their with their with their, their their journeys
0: for sure in the book charlie writes that he got to start therapy properly and to meet other teenagers who had eating disorders His stay there helped him to understand that things like restrictive eating, self-harm and his other compulsions are just coping mechanisms and recovery isn't about stopping those things, but figuring out why he feels the impulses and understanding the emotional stuff that's underneath. It really does sound like Charlie benefited from his stay in hospital. Is it difficult or intimidating for people here in that environment for a short time and then have to go back home again and are all of a sudden just back with their family and, and back in their home environment?
3: Yeah, there can often be just like a transition period, right? It's like it's like when you come back from anything that you're doing and you go back to your regular life and it takes you a while to sort of readjust, especially if your home environment hasn't changed, but you've changed. And so that's why we're talking about the importance of like the family understanding and knowing more about what will be helpful as he's reintegrating back into his day to day.
1: I, I think something that is like always a, a personal irritation of mine when it comes to, to mental health is, you know, uh, people, when you have a stay inpatient or whether you're you're going into therapy or some kind of treatment, the first question is, well, are you better yet? Um, almost <laughs> instantly. I, yeah, it's all fixed after one hour session. Thank <laughs> you very much. And I, I think that's the really frustrating thing about mental health. We have we love to talk about binaries as queer people, but there's this binary of mental health. You either you're you're better or you're sick. And yeah. it feels like, I think people are, I know that deep down people are asking if you're better because they want you to be better and they love and they care for you. But what it feels like when you're that person is that you're being morally judged for being like inefficient or, or flawed as a human being. And I think that's the hard thing about coming back from any kind of treatment is this feeling of, Well, it's all done now. (laughs) We fixed it. You know, and and the thing is, it's always the fix is always with mental health. Obviously, you you are responsible for a lot of your your coping mechanisms, and how you deal with things and your boundaries. But it's also very much about the people around you. So it's very frustrating to come back and be told and feel like all of your problems are, are your fault, because a lot of the time it comes from the people around you as well. So the question is, have they got better yet as well?
3: It's the system. It's the family system, right? Charlie's not not just having his own mental health experience in a vacuum. He's having an experience in a system and in a school system and in a friend. I mean, he's in a system, in many systems. Um, And I think the thing I'll just add in here is that with mental health, um, it may be very true and it might be very true for Charlie that he's gonna be managing his mental health experience for a very long time, maybe for the rest of his life. For me, w- having mental health experience, I'm gonna be managing it forever. And that doesn't mean, that's that's no negative reflection on me. It just means that I have something that I have to deal with all the time, that I go to therapy for, that I decide to take medication for, whatever that means for you in terms of how you deal with your ongoing recovery and your wellness, that's, I, I think, you know really important for us to usualize. That it's not just a, okay, well, you went to the hospital, now you're home and you're better. And the medical yeah. model would want us to think that, right? Like, okay, you you got that, you got fixed, now you're better and you're not. So,
0: It's so true. It really is. It comes up a few times in the book. When their aunt starts a conversation with Tori, Charlie sees an opportunity to leave the room and Tori follows soon after and overhears an argument that he's having with their mum. She overhears their mum asking Charlie whether he wants them to talk about it or not. She tells him that he's being immature and acting like a baby who just wants everyone's attention all the time. Charlie tells her that that's exactly what he doesn't want. He doesn't want people's attention and that's the problem. He says that half the time she refuses to acknowledge that he has mental health issues and the other half, she makes him feel like he's the last person that she wants as a child. I can see why Charlie is very stressed at this point after everything that's happened with his family and his cousins and his uncle and aunt. Charlie's mom doesn't really come across very well in this exchange, but... I don't really think it's fair that we're kind of missing the context of what else has been said before Tori arrives. And I imagine that actually today is very stressful for his mum too. She has 16 people in the house that she's trying to entertain and and look after between her and her husband. Um, But yeah, it definitely comes across that
1: they need to communicate a bit better. That's one of the most frustrating things about moms. (laughs) Moms in general and trying to talk to people about your mental health. I think that so often, you know, at the end of the day, Charlie is like a teenager who has had a really difficult couple of months and is in a very, very stressful situation. And I think in that moment, he's trying to do his best to communicate his needs to his mom. He's trying to address the issue. He's already agitated and so is his mom and even on the most calmest of exchanges parents can be quite defensive and critical when you sort of mention that you're not doing well or that they're not doing enough to support you because that is hurtful to them whether it's true or not that that is hurtful to them because they feel like they feel like that's all they want to do as a parent is look after you and I think it's just one of those situations of Charlie came at it Really hot headed. His mom also having a very stressful day. People said things in the heat of the moment that they would, they will hopefully take back at the end of the book. But it, it's just it, that's a frustrating thing about having conversations about mental health. They never happen like they you want them to. You always imagine, you know, coming with a speech to your mom and your mom embracing you with a hug and it all being perfect and better. When the reality is that that's very unlikely to happen. Um, I'm glad that they were like as awful as it is to have an argument with your mom. I do think that sometimes having a blow up is better than nothing at all. I think a lot of us, I think playing happy families is worse than having a blow up with your mom at Christmas, because a blow up often means that you're going to actually address what happened. And also it is a way to reconnect that love, you know, when you're like, I'm sorry, I yelled at you i'm sorry i didn't mean those things it, it reminds you of that connection that love and you get to see it for what it really is instead of thinking she just wants me here because i'm her son and we have to be the perfect family today
2: i mean turn in as mom they're very deep thinkers you can both tell they're very very similar the apple doesn't fall from the, far from the tree in terms of like the the later in the book and we get like a bit of one time with like Oliver and the, the mum and this that kind of thing of you can see that the, the the intention was there it was maybe just the tone and the language that wasn't the correct thing to use because again it comes across that she's been dismissive of his mental illness and be little on it when yeah. it is probably one of the hardest experiences he's had in a while and he's he's had a, a real tough time of it and the last thing you want is your mum to kind of be like dismissing that um because obviously he's he's looking at that form of support we we love the support of our parents and we want to be nurtured um but I think it's again it's the tone and as Leo said coming out hot and heavy ready for a fight into someone else who's ready for a fight Christmas ring, brings the worst out in people in terms of tension because there's so much stress and so much happening so much planning so much stressors and as I said a good blow up is healthy um Again, it's just the timing of things. And again, it's just yeah. been the worst time for it to happen. But at the end of the day, it's it's led to a good thing because they've actually kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the problem. Like Charlie doesn't know how to communicate and his mom doesn't know how to communicate with him. So they both end up just kind of yelling at each other. Yeah. <laughs> is the main kind of problem. Yeah.
0: Sometimes it's easy to forget the parents kind of come along in this journey too, that You know, in different parts of the book, Tori comments that her mum and her dad don't really like to talk openly about Charlie's um, eating disorder. And it just, it makes me wonder what kind of support they're getting. You know, it's really important that parents seek out support and advice as well to help them manage how they feel about
1: what's happening.
3: Therapy. Therapy. Okay.
2: (laughs) 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 Go to therapy. Go to therapy. Therapy.
1: Like at at the Rainbow Project, one of our most common phone calls, is, is from parents whose children, whether they're my age, you know, 32-year-old children or, or 14-year-old children, who have just come out as trans or non-binary, and the parents are in a state of utter panic. And I think a lot of the time they're actually very positive about the kids coming out, or, or neutral at the very least. But the amount of emotion, of grief, of confusion, of distress, of panic, of worry... It's just so overwhelming for them. And what's really interesting is it's all, when they're talking, it's always about the child. I'm worried about the child. I'm fearful for the child. That's actually not what they're talking about. They're worried about them. They're fearful for them. They're feeling upset and irritated at themselves. And it just makes me realize how little space parents seem to take for themselves. I think when we're talking about boundaries, um, I think parents could could learn a thing about having their own understanding of where their feelings start and uh, their feelings for their kids and at what point is it their feeling uh, and what point is it the kid's problem. And absolutely everyone should go to therapy, quite frankly, <laughs> um, because many of us are in therapy for the ones who won't. Um, but yeah, I think that open communication is something that this family desperately needs. I think there's a lot of like sort of small subset teams that are working together and communicating with each other. But when someone's coming out of treatment, like you need a unified front, you need, you need a structure, you need responsibilities. You need to be able to tap each other in and tap each other out. And part of that is being able to say like, for instance, charlie's mom's getting overwhelmed in the kitchen and charlie's getting upset with her be like i'm very upset right now charlie would you go talk to your dad instead and maybe she says to the dad he just came and he was upset would you go talk to him it's just about knowing to take a breather when it's getting too much right for sure that kind of
2: general fear and, and and parents as well like obviously they don't want their it's that kind of primal thing with parents and their cubs of the thing of like they don't want their babies to be hurting. They don't want their children to be exposed to this awful thing that is really ravaging their body and mind. Um and we do we do get a lot of parents who come to us, especially in Rainbow Project, who the 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 concern is overwhelming and I mean it's definitely one of the needs that we've had to bring in we've had to bring in um a a thing called like family therapy and family counseling almost kind of ally counseling where we do have a section called family ties where we have maybe 100 families maybe 100 plus families who just need that peer support to have someone else who's like I'm going through this too and this is what we did um or just to have a family member come up to them and be like I am feeling exactly the same way you are and there is no shame in it there's no there's nothing to be afraid of it's just that it's it's a journey and I think sometimes we do focus on like the actual individual's journey and not the people around it we're all connected in some way to this journey but it's just about finding the right way to kind of navigate it especially as Leo said as a team kind of figuring out um. okay Tori's really really confident about talking to Charlie about things so maybe she could be the one who's divulging stuff the dad's really good at like deflecting things and the mum's really good at kind of like making sure everything's kind of swept up alongside and keeping things tidy and neat so then there, there could have been a really there was a real potential for the family to kind of really act together and maybe we're not saying that after the book but, but maybe there is a possibility that, that might have happened we just don't know
0: for sure definitely definitely that kind of experience where you get to meet people that are experiencing the same things and it's that that reassurance that actually it's okay that these things are happening that this is what happens and other people go through this too is so important for families and for parents it all gets a bit much for Charlie and he makes a beeline for Nick's house a bit earlier than planned this part of the story is told from Charlie's perspective On the way over to Nix, he blames himself for his family being annoyed with him and he calls himself a hypocritical piece of shit that lives up to his crazy person stereotype. It's so heartbreaking sometimes the way he blames himself and carries all this. When he arrives at Nick's, there's an even bigger Christmas party in full swing. Nick comes out to greet him and asks how he is and Charlie gets a bit upset. He he writes that it's what happens anytime people ask him that question, which is a bit heartbreaking too. Questions like that we've talked about often being our default question whenever we bump into somebody or meet them in the street. Why is it that they can that question in particular is can be triggering for some people like why does charlie feel triggered by it
2: that checking in almost like self-checking in you maybe haven't done it necessarily in a while so you're kind of like am i okay you're almost kind of that split second i mean i know whenever i'm upset the worst thing to do is literally to ask me if i'm okay or to tap me on the shoulder because it breaks me out of that and then i start crying and it's literally like that one thing of I absolutely hate being the center of attention. Even like as a teenager, as an adult, it's it's absolutely horrific for me. And yet I'm a drama student, and I I I love theater, and I love masking. I love being a different person than myself. But again, I can really see like that kind of the barrier coming down, of him trying to be strong and having that moment in the kind of the patio kind of area where they're just having a moment taking the breather and he feels like he can relax with Nick and it's that kind of that's thing of right. like, the barrier has come down and the dam has broken kind of thing of like he's actually with someone who supports him and he can feel like he can be himself around his chosen family of, of him and Nick and again, it's just the the question has just been the, the straw that's broke the camel's back because Tori's been asking it the whole way through the day that's but right. it's just took for him to ask it and that's been the thing that's broken
3: yeah, and he's removed from his home environment now, right? He's somewhere completely different, mm-hmm. and he's with that safe person, Nick being his safe person, his chosen family, like you said. So he 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 is able to express emotion now. It's a safe
0: time to do it. Ironically, in front of the doorway of, like, a hundred people party. Sometimes <laughs> you just
2: gotta do it. He's has gotta do it.
0: I know. It is kind of <laughs> ironic that he's come all the way over to Nick's to kind of escape the attention, and immediately he's, like, the center of attention.
2: It's just the family watching and that the display happening is like it was one of the bits that I kind of laughed at because I was like literally that's just so typical of like
1: yeah a family
2: gathering of like you having that moment with someone and then everybody hearing it out of context and maybe getting only a section of it and being like what is going on in here and you're like that kind of farcery of it you're like oh why did I even bother.
0: Being at Nick's
2: is a totally different, you know, reparative experience,
0: Mm -hmm. I think,
3: in a lot of ways, because here he is in this party with all these people, which for me as an introvert would be so overwhelming. I would just be like, can we go upstairs right away? I need to be in your room. I can't do it. everyone is like so welcoming and loving That's to him, him right they're and like no one knows oh, about no,
2: the issues cause... either like there's only maybe a chosen three like the mom or nick or the brother maybe that know that like this is actually happening so again it's that kind of being in a room where people don't recognize that that, that there's something wrong and you can be mm-hmm. somebody completely different you can be that strong person whereas maybe at home he hasn't felt like he can do that
0: mm-hmm Later in the book, Charlie bumps into David in the kitchen. David is Nick's quite unfriendly and homophobic older brother. David asks Charlie if he's all cured now. And Charlie tells him that it isn't really how it works, but that he feels much better.
3: I really appreciate that it's a a moment where Charlie, you know, comes in really strongly and he just comes back to David and just says he just is not having David's inappropriate commentary. He's just not yeah. having it. it. Reminds me of like when he stands up to Ben. He's standing up to a bully. He's doing it here in the kitchen. And and I and I say that and I know it's not always on people who are being bullied to to be able to do that. We're not. We don't always have access to the resources, internal resources, to be able to stand up to people in the moment. But Charlie does here, and it's a really powerful, shining moment for him in the kitchen. So and then relatable. of course Nick comes and. Nick comes in and it's just like, um, what's happening here? Absolutely not. He comes in in his like protector yes. archetype, which I always love. His Great. golden retriever protector archetype. I love Nick so much. So, but 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 he but Charlie was holding his own before that happened, and I just want to like pull that out. It's so sweet.
2: It is. Definitely. It's, it's such a relatable thing in terms of like him just sitting there drinking a glass of water and then getting cornered by this real adversary thing of like, we've all kind of being there at some point. I'm sure, maybe not in that kind of context, but at least we've been at a, at a space where we've kind of think like we're safe and we're kind of just there and then suddenly something's just happened and you do go into that fight or flight response and he definitely chose fight. Like, he chose violence that time with words and it was absolutely amazing to kind of see that happen.
0: It's really, it is, it's a great moment. It's quite empowering. I wonder if the family dynamic played into it a little bit here too, where mm. he feels much better able to stand up to somebody like David, who's an outsider, whereas his uncle, whenever his uncle was questioning him like mm-hmm. earlier on at his, at his home, you know, maybe we don't feel like we're able to stand up to those people who are often seen as trusted adults in a situation. They're people that we're taught to respect.
2: Again, yeah, it's that thing of him being kind of, like he's had that sitting in his head probably, like what to say, and hasn't been able to necessarily say it to the uncle, but a complete stranger who he doesn't necessarily yeah. like, he can just go at it and have it all sitting there, and here's the receipts, and here's everything that I know about this subject. Definitely. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, it's fair to say that the conversation that David starts is very inappropriate. He goes on to ask Charlie what it's like in a mental hospital. He's super interested because he's just watched a documentary on schizophrenia and he tells Charlie that all that talking to yourself and stuff is awful and that people had to be locked up to stop them from hurting themselves. Charlie explains that he doesn't have schizophrenia and that documentaries like that are designed to horrify the viewer and sensationalize mental health issues, particularly less socially acceptable issues like schizophrenia.
3: It's so badass that he's saying that, right? It's so badass. I'm like, go, Charlie. Thank you. He's like using this as an educational moment and also just not having David. I love it.
1: It is. It's really he's
3: good.
1: Absolutely right. One of those key things of like, I think we've all had that thing where if you get bullied or picked on or misunderstood for something that belongs to you, you shrink in yourself. But when someone picks on somebody else, you're like, absolutely no, that is not okay. And I think that that's another, like, Charlie absolutely has that strength in him. He just needs to find it for himself as well, I think.
2: And again, it's that special subject of like mental illness that he probably knows a lot about now because he's been through it. He knows that he's going to get maybe chucked under the same brush of somebody else who maybe has a similar illness or someone who the all-encompassing kind of mental illness that scary word of like what the the stereotypical person is so he's probably went and did his research and kind of went like okay I've got my my facts and figures and I know exactly what to talk about here yeah
3: and just like again usualizing that you know some people have mental health experiences that can look like hearing voices or like, like you know and some people have mental health experience that can look like um you know anxiety or depression or challenges with eating or whatever. Like it's all part of uh, different, different people's stories and experiences. And not one is any worse or better than the other. We're all just having experiences and we all need and deserve to have support with those experiences if they're not working for us. Right. And I think that's such a huge, huge message here. It's like schizophrenia is, is a, you know, a, a severe mental health experience and can be really um challenging for people to live and exist in a world that doesn't support people with schizophrenia but it doesn't mean that it's like the end all be all worst thing and it can't be treated and worked with it absolutely can
0: well definitely i love that you said that david goes on to say a few other things and before charlie can respond nick arrives back and is really angry with david as you said earlier Um, and He takes Charlie away to a quiet place and Charlie writes that he's talked to Jeff, his therapist, about unhelpful people like David. And when people when people know you have mental health issues, they either completely ignore it or treat you like you're strange, scary or fascinating. People don't tend to be good at the middle ground, which he describes as just being there, helping if help is needed and being understanding, even if you don't understand everything he thinks that Nick and Tori are both good at the middle ground and that even though his parents aren't, that they're trying.
3: It's such a great reminder that we don't have to know everything about disordered eating or depression to be able to be the middle ground for our friends, to be the middle ground for if you're a parent listening to, for your for your child or your children. Like You can be there and be, like we talked about earlier, Like I'm here for you, whatever you need how are you? How are you feeling? Is this working for you or not working for you? What would you like? That's the middle ground. You can have that and show up in that way without knowing every single thing there is to know. Now, educating yourself is also important and really good, but you but you don't have to know and you don't have to have lived experience to show up. And that is like, letting letting them know that you're there without going too far in either direction like without suffocating the person of like how are you what's going yeah. on how, what's on your plate and then too far in the other direction of like i'm just it's out of sight out of mind we're not talking about it there's somewhere in between which is the place that's the best place most effective place
0: definitely definitely Later that evening, Charlie opens up to Nick telling him that the day had been really hard. He's kind of put this off for a little while. Like he he didn't feel ready earlier when Nick asked. So he's put this off and now he feels a bit safer, I guess. He writes that he knows that Nick can't fix anything. And even if he could, he shouldn't have to but that talking about everything eases the tightness in his chest. He explained that he just wanted to pretend that that this Christmas was the same as last year, but that everybody did their best to make him feel like a liability. Nick challenges this belief, asking everyone, and Charlie acknowledges that Tori and Oliver are actually pretty good. I really love how Nick challenges Charlie's belief in that moment. It feels really important that that we challenge people's beliefs sometimes and challenge our own beliefs too.
1: We just love Nick here, don't we? We just think Nick is fabulous. I do too.
0: Um,
2: Definitely has a career in therapy, I think.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Or just being an amazing boyfriend. Oh, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But I, I think that it's really, um, at least my experience with mental health, you know, it is absolutely good to talk about it, but sometimes it can be like a steam train running away from you. And I think it's the difference between venting and talking. And sometimes we go straight to venting. And when we're venting, it's the worst scenario of the situation. It may be slightly misinterpreted so that we can almost be worse off for it. Like I've had the, the worst day ever. Everyone was awful to me. Everything that happened was terrible. And whilst I think it can sometimes feel good to just blow off steam like that, I find it can also help people spiral in a way because you can convince yourself that it's almost worse than it is. And it's really important that people who maybe don't have those kind of blinkers on of like pessimism or, you know, having a difficult time and maybe don't have the same stamina or optimism they usually have to kind of go, it's actually not all that bad, you know, granted, you know, those people were terrible but not everybody and you're missing out the the wonderful things in your life by ignoring them you know you're you're almost doing what everyone else is doing to you at the moment either ignoring or focusing too much on it you need to find the good middle ground of saying some of these things are bad today but my sister and my brother were amazing and also obviously Nick
2: Yeah, it's the boundaries and the, the spectrum of support that you can get kind of again that, that thing we were saying before but the kind of mental illness like you're either cured or you're, you're you're not basically that thing of like you can be a good support you can be amazing at it or you can be okay and again it changes it fluctuates as the person needs it and it's it's just really crucial to know that like he recognizes that as well that Tori is trying his best trying her best and that like his parents are trying their best but Nick is just just that bit over because he's just he's got it straight away a nail on the head and knows exactly how he works as a person because he spends so much time with him. And again, it's that thing, that thing of when you know someone so well and you know how they work, that it's it's far easy to kind of call them out on things that they mightn't necessarily kind of realize by themselves.
0: Definitely. I love it in this moment too, how Charlie recognizes that it really like, although Nick's a great listener and that he's he's there to support Charlie, that it's that he, he actually can't fix anything that and that he shouldn't have to either that that it isn't his role in the relationship to help charlie fix his mental health it feels like quite an important thing that charlie recognizes that
3: yeah, yeah. and i would i i think that you know nick is absolutely a safe person nick's house is a safe place for charlie to go um, Nick is the protector. And I I my hope for Charlie is that he knows in these moments in hard this winter, hard Christmas time, that not only are Tori and Oliver also resources for him, but also like why isn't he texting Tao or like L or where, where are the group cute group chats going yes, on? Like I just so want to make sure that we, you know, I think it's important for us to remember like we don't want to just have all of our eggs in one basket in terms of like Nick is the person. He's the go-to, he's the person I'm always gonna go to when I'm having a hard time. I don't think Charlie's trying to do that, but I just want to like remind all of us, like we wanna we wanna reach out to our community, to our chosen family, if you will, if that's who they are. Like we
2: have, we have
3: to do that. I think it's really important important.
2: There is almost that kind of like thing around Christmas time, especially the holidays that we stick to our own lanes and we stick within our own family sometimes. So we don't ask for help. And we mm-hmm. do find that people kind of like, do you generally not want to ask for help of friends because they're maybe thinking, Oh, they're having such a good time and it's going to be a burden mm-hmm. on them. I'm not going to want to hear about my problems, but in actual reality, they're probably waiting for that to happen and they're waiting for the yeah. person to reach out because they know something's wrong and they know that it's that kind of friend intuition thing. Like you, you know, for sure that Tao was probably busting to kind of necessarily and ask how his day is going because again they're they're only human they're his friends and that thing of um. but again they're probably taking a step back because again there's that kind of tool thing of like that. do that, that they know how to cope with it and they know Nick's got it and they know that like he's, he's on it and they know Tory's on it so maybe they need to kind of take a step back or they just don't know how to respond to it as well sometimes
0: For sure it's interesting because Nick observes that too I think he says that Charlie's so scared sometimes of being a burden that it makes him terrified Mm. to ask for help and that there are a lot of people around him, meaning his friends and his family, who would be there if he just opened up about the help that he needed. But it can be really hard to ask for help sometimes. So hard. So hard. Especially if you're not really sure what kind of help you need. Like, how do you know what kind of help you need?
3: I often don't, right? Where I'm, I'm just like, oh, I'm having a really hard time, but I don't know what I need or, 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 or I'll have well-meaning friends go like, let me know if you need anything or how are you? And I'm like, I don't know yeah. what I need. I need something, but I don't know what
2: it is. Apparently, <laughs> know what I want to eat for lunch sometimes, like on coffee, right. let alone like yes. what my, my deepest what, what, mental health crisis needs. What need. is
3: my emotional need right now? I couldn't tell you. But the fact that you asked means something to me. The fact that you're thinking about me means something. And I know that I'm being loved, even if I don't know how to respond in this moment. But I'll let you know when I do know.
2: And it feels like sometimes you have that magic eight ball, that kind of divination rod of like... <laughs> Is, is there anybody out there? Is there anything happening? What do I need here? And you're kind of like, ask again later. I don't really know right now. And it's like, oh, God.
1: I think that something I've learned is that, I like you say, sometimes it's hard to know what you need. And I think for me, I kind of break it down into the very, very basics to help me out when I'm in a tough situation. And who knows, maybe someone listening could get something from it. But I think sometimes... You'll never have an idea of what you need, but there's things that humans need all the time and it's just best to keep them up. Connection being number one and particularly queer people can have a pretty um, conflicting and difficult relationship with their family, even at the best of times. So it's really important to make sure that you've got someone in your back pocket who you can can connect with. And whether that's through, you know, sending stupid memes about Christmas or telling dirty jokes to you under the Christmas under the mm. table, or even just um being like, oh, do you want to catch a five minute break before Doctor Who comes on at 7 p.m. And one of the things I really enjoy about Charlie Storming out is as soon as I read that book, absolutely golden move. That is what I would do as well. I think there's nothing better in the world than removing yourself from a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. Going on a walk, listening to like heavy metal or super emo music, whatever you're feeling. (laughs) And just, I mean, nature can help going out. It's nice when it's sunny outside, but, you know, it's good to do some moonbathing. And I think just being out (laughs) in the fresh air, the wind, it can really be a big reset. And I think, you know, obviously eating is very important, but also drinking water. I tend to treat myself like a plant when I my, my brain stops working um so it's 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 roots air water and mm-hmm. you know some type of entertainment as well but I think when you don't know what you want just go for what keeps people alive and mm-hmm. keeps them healthy and just try your best and You'll, you'll manage something.
2: It is really important to kind of like connect in with yourself and check in with yourself, like the connection-based thing, as you said, like connecting with others. Tori does it perfectly, like straight away. She texts her friend to see how she's getting on for Christmas. That's um, right. There is a kind of mm-hmm. really there is a kind of safe way to do that and again connecting with yourself as well like you can see Charlie's kind of connecting with himself and he's he's realized that it's like fists are balled up or that he's actually feeling a bit like nervous and you can see that's why he storms out because there is a there is a general kind of reaction cause and effect and again sometimes we don't know what our bodies need and sometimes it just is taking that step back and being like what way is my body feeling am I like tense am I feeling um, do I need to get up and walk? Do I need to kind of relax, do you, like square breathing, or relax, or think about something else, or put music on, distract myself? And we're we're very good at teaching others how to do it, but we're really bad at doing it ourselves. And sometimes it's just really important to check in, as Leo said, be the plant, be the plant, and just oh, make that. sure that like you're getting yeah you're getting all your nourishment because we tend to we tend to tend to other people's gardens before ourselves. <laughs> so it's that thing of Animal Crossing. It's like that thing of like look after your own self, and then look after your like others and saying no to people doesn't necessarily make you a bad person it's saying no to them but saying yes to yourself which is really more far more important sometimes
0: I love that be the plant that's gonna be like one of my mantras now I love it so much (laughs) be the plant I can't wait to use it in conversation the final part of the story is told from Oliver's perspective which is super cute like it's really nice um back at the spring household Oliver asks his mom if Charlie and Tori have been kidnapped. His mum tells him that Charlie was a bit upset earlier because she said some things that weren't very nice and Charlie went to Nick's house. Oliver sees that his mum is looking a bit sad so he gives her a big hug because that's what you're supposed to do when people look sad and he tells her that she could just say sorry. It's what you have to do when you say something bad. It's so cute. Oliver's like the cutest thing. It's odd how kids pick up on all these kind of emotions that run underneath the surface, isn't it?
2: We're so in tune with ourselves when we're kids, like in terms of people's emotions and stuff. Like um, as adults, we kind of like get it tuned out of us, especially for the school system is like that kind of thing of like don't ask, don't don't need, need to ask for help or don't look at this emotion and don't throw the tantrum. Don't like go to those base emotions. But like kids are so respected perceptive and their perception of people um, and they know exactly what you need sometimes like I've had many as a child whenever I've come over and I've been upset and they come over and hand me a sweet and I'm like oh my god yep exactly what I needed, the sugar levels that's, that's exactly what it was, that's what I needed and a hug, sometimes that's all you need
0: Just then Charlie and Tori arrive home Charlie gives his mum a hug and they go into the kitchen leaving Tori and Oliver in the living room. Oliver hopes that his mum is saying sorry just like he told her to. It's such a cute little ending isn't it?
3: It's so simple and so sweet and such an important reminder. Like you can say, you're sorry. And that doesn't mean that everything is now perfect between Charlie and his mom, right? It doesn't mean that everything is fixed and that there aren't going to be more things that the two of them and the family system needs to work on together to come back to a new way of reorganizing themselves. But for now, like, it's okay to say sorry for now and just like have this sweet little makeup and then play Mario Kart or whatever. And puppies, I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about like, how to make it through the holidays like puppies are the answer definitely like like charlie takes henry like nick's new puppy and he's just like holding henry and walking around so find a puppy and just hold and snuggle that puppy
0: there is definitely something therapeutic about playing with animals, isn't there? Like, it's really yeah. odd how we, we get that connection, you know?
2: It's that kind of motion of stroking the animal. Like, I mean, we have a cat, and the first thing I do whenever I get home, if I'm really stressed, is just bundle under my arms and just hear the purrs and put my ear her and kind of hear her breathing and things like that. There's such an emotional connection, especially with something that kind of is happy that you're home.
0: Definitely, definitely. I have the opposite reaction with my cats. My cats are very needy and they're they're very codependent. <laughs> so I wanted cats that kind of give me dirty looks from across the room and instead they're like all over me i swear to god yeah they're like needy boyfriends again
2: it's that innocence isn't it of like kids and animals as well like they're so (laughs) perceptive and (laughs) it's such a it's a poignant moment with oliver kind of telling his mom what to do Um, because a lot of the time like kids are told by their parents what to do and it's so nice to get it refreshing kind of thing of like this kid being so intuitive and you can definitely tell he's a chip off the old block in terms of, like, the this, this pretty household and in terms of, like, how in tune he is with his emotions, but just yeah. he's better maybe at voicing it than he is necessarily than the rest of the family members are. And long may it rain, hopefully he rubs he off on the rest of them. I think that adults...
1: I think adults um, tend to make things more difficult than they need to be, and especially parents. I think that, you know, they feel like they have to act as if they've always got everything together like they're the captain of the ship and they can't show any signs of weakness or else the whole thing is sinking and I think we often forget the importance of just like hugging people when they're sad you don't have to have the answers you don't need to be able to fix it if I tell you I'm having a rough day please just hug me and Aww. if you make us sick and we get that, please hug me. That's what I'm asking, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> give me a first thing in the Virtual morning, we go hugs. in and it's a hug fest. Yeah, yeah it's
2: usually a hug fest and the first thing in the morning if we're really stressed.
1: But, you know, uh, give me a hug if I'm feeling bad. Say sorry if you, you get upset. You know, I think that we could all learn to recognize that, like, it's everybody's first go at being alive it's pretty complicated and it's pretty messy yeah. and we're going to hurt each other and we're not always going to know what to do. And I think if we just remember to be affectionate and open and apologize to one another, we get along much better, but <laughs> yeah, good kids, Oliver. <laughs> Aww. What are your top tips for surviving this winter? Make your own traditions. I watch Lord of the Rings extended edition mostly every year um, it is what makes me enjoy Christmas and um, being with my friends, doing that, and it helps fill one of the void bubble days that we were talking about earlier. So yeah. make your own traditions. If yours seem fraught, difficult, or boring, make your own one up. Stay up till two a.m. playing video games on Christmas Eve. Make that mm-hmm. be your thing. You know, come up with something new just for you. I love that.
2: Yeah, that's such a good one, Leo. Um, I think for me, it's kind of connections like again connecting with yourself connecting with others connecting with your community is really important like we we're all kind of chugging along at the minute we're we're just out of like a really traumatic time and I think it's just really important to kind of check in with ourselves check in with our families and our found families and chosen families and just be around people that you want to be around Mm -hmm. and make sure that you make a space for yourself that's for you and makes you proud and makes you feel comfortable because a lot of the time we don't tend to and it's about managing that.
3: Yes to all of these and also obviously puppies and pets and things (laughs) that bring you joy. But that's really it for me is like what brings me joy? What do I want to surround myself with that makes like makes me joyful, makes my queer spirit sing? Like what are those things that I want to have around me? And I can have those things around me and you know as a young person not even other people don't even need to know what they are or see them like they're just for me. And that's really important. And, um, also I think what the being, being, being a plant going outside, getting enough sleep, um, yeah. is really, really important. Sleep, food, water, like <laughs> nourishing nourishment, your
2: yeah. nourishment,
3: um, and then treat yourself. Yeah. And for me personally, I'll also be getting another tattoo, which is part of my self-care um, practices.
0: <laughs> Very good. <laughs> M, Leo and Amy you folks have been wonderful guests you've been so <laughs> good you've been so good I can't believe we pulled this off it's been such a marathon episode it's really different to talk about a book rather than a tv show like the tv show is 20 minutes long the book is like pretty it, it's a small book but it's still pretty meaty there's a lot in it what were the highlights for you what have the highlights been for you of the whole of your whole Heartstopper experience?
2: I think having just a uh... Role models for young people. I remember even watching the series and reading the books and kind of thinking, I would have loved this when I was 15. And I know, like, I'm in my 30s now, but like, I can still relate to those characters and they're so relatable and they're so lovely. And it's just a nice little. Warm hug whenever you do need yeah. is that kind of.
0: There's so much joy, isn't it. there?
2: Yeah, I, I I second that. I
3: I when I watch Heartstopper, I cry and cry and cry, just thinking, I wish yeah. I had this when I was younger. And when I show it to my queer friends who are around my age, they all are in the same boat, and they all also pause and say, "Oh, is something bad, really bad, going to happen on the next episode?" And I'm like. No. This is just a show about, you know, two people falling in love and the trials and tribulations of that and it's just so wonderful to see and it does make my heart stop every single time and I've watched that show a lot of times and I will be <laughs> watching it again this Christmas at least yeah. once or twice or three times and I'm so looking forward to season 2 I can't even stand it.
0: Oh, I can't wait for season 2. It's going to be so good. They just wrapped. They just wrapped. I can't wait for it to come oh, out. No. I wonder if it'll be April. Will it be an April release, or will it be a bit later because it's what I'm later hoping. in the year? Me too. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of shoes. I'll be coming back and knocking on your doors.
1: I think uh, for me, probably my favorite thing about Heartstopper is, you know, we always talk a big game about internalized homophobia in the Rainbow Project, and I think what was really like affirming and liberating in a way was seeing myself within Charlie that way that that poor Charlie apologizes for breathing Mm -hmm. is so relatable. And I felt like it's really nice to see a mirror held up to yourself sometimes and to see how traumatic experiences can really shape the kind of person you are and how you feel about yourself. And I think if it made me feel like, gosh, I need to learn that I have I am worthy of love and I'm worthy of space, but it makes me so happy because I know that there's going to be some very emo 14 year old who's watching it. Who also says, God, Charlie, relax, relax, Charlie. (laughs) And we'll maybe say, I need to relax. Um, And yeah, it's just been delightful to, to see people just, love this show and and to have such a lovely sweet time even you know the bitter old queens who really thought that they were going to hate it because it's what they couldn't have yeah. and to be like no this is class everyone nice. gets this night. It's
2: nice to have a happy ending and not like have the, the the kind of stereotypical queer trope of they all die or one of them dies at the end and they're yeah, all happy and it's just you you want something uplifting you want something to believe and you want something to to, to like well something with such a killer
3: soundtrack. Oh my goodness, mm. the mu- music yeah. in Heartstopper is so just like incredible.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is thanks so much again for coming on and being guests on the show and thank you listeners for sticking with us if we have listeners at this stage it's going to be like a huge episode maybe you should do it in two parts yeah, yeah. thanks so much for sticking with us if you've enjoyed the episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button and give us a five star rating guests too feel free to go online and give yourselves a five star rating they all count <laughs> um also follow us on social media proper full on gc and yeah it's time to say goodbye guests should we say goodbye to everybody
1: Bye, everyone.
0: Bye. Bye. Today's show was brought to you by Shut Up and Listen in partnership with Emily Marinelli and The Rainbow Project. You can learn more about the show at properfullongatecrisis.com, follow us on social media at properfullongc and discover our other shows at shutup.world.